John 13 is such a powerful chapter, and just as we've been journeying through the book of John, I will only be able to highlight just a small segment of this rich, rich, rich chapter. Uh, as uh, was shared last week, that John chapters 12 through 17 are really critical. They are the last words that he had to his disciples before the whole process of the crucifixion. So it's really important for us to really grasp some of these eternal things that Jesus established just before he died, was buried and rose again. So starting in verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself. And after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Let's pray. Lord, there's ongoing revelation of the beauty and the miraculous servanthood that was displayed on that last evening. Lord, I pray that you'd help all of us to really want to be like Jesus. I pray this morning that we would learn about foot-washing love. And we pray that you'd help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, come and help us. Help us apply what took place in your life to take place in our lives. And Lord, once again, I blow the shofar in Zion, Waco, Highland, and Lord, tune us into what you're wanting to say to us this morning, not just through the words of the mouth, but through the heart of the Father. Express your heart to us this morning, Lord. Lord, you have our attention. I pray you'd really have our hearts this morning. Amen. This morning I want us to look at two things that took place in this chapter. There's a whole lot that took place, but two things that stand out to me. The first is the deep cleansing that took place during the Last Supper. Uh, and Andrew, anytime you want, you can put the picture back up because I'll get into explaining some of this later on. Um, the disciples were cleansed physically in the foot washing, and they were also cleansed figuratively in the departure of Judas, the betrayer. 
God wanted a clean house before he established a covenant meal and established the new covenant. And the second thing that I think we'll look at is, is later on in the chapter when Jesus gave a new commandment to his men. Now ordinarily on such an occasion as a high holy day as Passover, the host would have delegated a servant to do the menial task of removing the sandals of each guest and then washing their feet and then drying them because dust is accumulated when you're only wearing sandals and there are no paved roads. But since this gathering was intended to be private and actually somewhat secretive, there were no household servants present. So Jesus used this holy occasion to teach a kingdom lesson in humility and selfless service. Not only was it customary to wash one's feet as soon as you entered their home, it was a requirement at the outset of the Passover celebration of the Seder meal, as well as the other high holy day meals that took place. It was mandatory. Now I find it interesting that none of the disciples was ready to volunteer for this task. But then I remembered the disciples had times when they had shared among themselves what possible positions they would have in the kingdom of God. And they now knew that Jesus was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah that would restore the kingdom to Israel, that would establish the kingdom of God on earth. And now that they knew that, they wanted positions of greatness, not of servanthood. I mean, they were the inner circle of Messiah. So to assume the role of a lowly slave in washing their feet, <laughs> it would have been seen as an act of inferiority to the others. And no one wanted to look like that that evening. No one was willing to do that low of a task except Jesus, except Jesus. What an example Jesus gave us. You know, I think he may have waited to give them all a chance to take that lowly position of servanthood. But no one came forward, even though I have to believe it was in the minds of all of them. They're having a Passover meal with 30 feet. This was totally a common custom. But it was absent, and they were probably a bit amazed that Jesus continued and started the service without the foot washing. I want us to take a look at Luke's account of this amazing Last Supper as well. Luke brings in a couple of items I think that are really good for us to see. So turn with me to Luke chapter 22. It's interesting how Luke records the position of different things as well, but uh, I think it's good for us this morning. He records in verses 19 and 20 that here Jesus is instituting the meal covenant, offering up of the bread, offering up of the wine. But look at this. Immediately after Jesus instituted the Last Supper, he then told them, verse 21, But behold, the hand of my betrayer 
is with me on the table. Friends, this got their attention. Verse 23 says, Well, then they began to question among themselves. Which of them was, uh, which of them it was who would do this thing? Now imagine the disciples around the table, they're not looking at Jesus now, now they're looking at one another. What do you, hey, it's not me. Not me. And then look, look at verse 24, right in the heels of Jesus talking about a betrayer, he now says that there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. So what took place months earlier up at Caesarea Philippi, where they were arguing after they discovered that he was indeed the Messiah. On the road from Caesarea Philippi, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Now it happens again at the Last Supper. Who would betray the Master? James may have looked at the person, brother next to him, and said, hey, it's not me. Listen, I'm, I'm looking for the Secretary of State position. Or how about Peter? Well, for sure it's not me. I have the keys of the kingdom, whatever that means. <laughs> we could even possibly have had Judas say, well, for sure it's not me. My dream job is the Secretary of the Treasury. <laughs> Friends, their focus was on their personal gain not on serving others. So, what did our king do? <laughs> Jesus silenced their disputes by rising from the table, removing his outer cloak, and wrapping a towel around his waist, and performing the work of the servant who was not present. What humility Jesus expressed. It was an act of voluntary humiliation that may well have exposed the pride in the hearts of the disciples that none of them chose that position. And Jesus calmed the tension. Who's going to betray? Who's the greatest? There was tension at that Last Supper. He calmed it by taking the least honorable position among them. And he did not wash their feet just to get them to be nice to each other. His greater goal was to extend his mission on earth through these men after he was gone. And these disciples were to move into the world, go out into every nation, in tribe and tongue, serving God, each other, and those to whom they gave the gospel message. Jesus was a perfect model servant. He demonstrated a perfect servant attitude to his disciples. God resists the proud in heart. But he lavishes his grace and his favor upon those who are genuinely humble. When we're humble before God, there is nothing in us that resists him. Nothing that demands our way or our will. Jesus demonstrated here that bowing down in humility is the way we are raised up in kingdom authority. 
The only way really up is to go down first. The Lord demonstrated the meaning of true servanthood that night among his close friends. In servanthood, what is it? It's a disposition of the heart and spirit which expresses itself in concrete action. And even Jesus, who was God in the flesh, was willing to serve in every way. And friends, all, all of us as his followers, we must also be willing to serve in any way that glorifies the Lord. Now let's make this personal this morning. Are you willing to follow Christ's example of serving even when it costs you? Who can you serve today? There's a special blessing for those who not only agree that this is Christ's way, the humble way of serving, but also those who follow through and actually do it. Okay, this picture of the Last Supper, I, uh, boy, I tell you, I searched on the internet a good while. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures that also show Jesus sitting at a table. He wasn't sitting at a table. That's Roman mentality. This is the way they were, and this is how they ate at people's houses. Now, they're sitting in an area that's called the trichilium, which has three sides. The other side, uh, the empty side, is where the servants would come to serve the meal, uh, to put the plates on the, on the table. Now, unfortunately, you remember how we used to have those pointers in school? They had the little rubber tip at the top. How many of you can remember those? How many of you got slapped with one of those? No. <laughs> All right. All right, the only difference, this, this is how it was, but this isn't how they were seated. They were seated differently. Jesus was not here. Jesus would have been right here. Because this is the place of honor at a trichilium, but these two places were also places of honor. And this was probably John, the apostle, who leaned on the breast of Jesus. And this was Judas, who easily could dip into the master's food. Now, it's interesting that as they probably walked into that Passover Seder evening, it's very likely that Peter was bringing up the rear. Because when he came in thinking that because he has the keys of the kingdom, he would have got one of these two spots. No, the bros weren't thinking of Peter. Now he comes into the room and what happens? He sees that they're all being filled. So what does Peter do? All right, then I'll take the last place. Praise God. So here's Peter. Judas, Jesus, John, Peter, Peter. Now, imagine being Peter, watching Jesus wash all of their feet. And it comes to mind, if it hadn't come to his mind already, 
It for sure came then. The person sitting at the last is the servant place. So if there's no servant, the person had the responsibility for washing was Peter. In fact, John probably looked over at, the, at Peter across the table and went, Hey, bro. <laughs> He's pointing to him and just saying, It's your response. And Peter, you know, uh, no, I, no, no, not me. I, but Peter saw that he had worked himself into a real difficult situation. He's in the place where you're supposed to do it if there's not someone else. So he sees Jesus walking on his knees and washing everyone's feet. All the while, Jesus is moving closer to Peter. I'll tell you, his heart must have really been thumping one after the other. And he, he's going to come to me at some time. And seeing his master behave like a slave must have really brought confusion. He's the one that said, You are the Messiah. You're the Redeemer of Israel. That's who you are. Jesus said, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter. But my Father revealed this to you. Hmm. He still did not understand Jesus' teaching that to be a leader, you must behave like a slave. You must be the servant of all. And now that he had the servant duty, being at the servant place, now he's feeling terrible. Also, keep in mind of what Peter was told up there in Caesarea Philippi. He's got the keys, but now he didn't know what to do with them. So, you know, in a way it's not that unpredictable. Knowing that the disciples realized that their long-awaited Messiah was among them, that they were his chief followers. There's no wonder that they'd be discussing their future executive roles in the kingdom. So that's how we leave the Last Supper. Finally he gets to Peter, and I, I just I love Peter's response. Even though he's hard-hearted, he's tender-hearted. Jesus says. I'm going to wash your feet too, Peter. He says, never. Which means, that, and that word never is forever. I will never do that. Jesus explains that if I do not wash you, you'll have no part in me. Peter immediately switches. You can take that dirty water that has the dust of my brothers and pour it over my head. Pour it over all of me. And Jesus said, no, it's just your feet. Now I want us to look a little bit at the latter part of the chapter where Jesus challenged his disciples once again. Back to John, and let's look from verses 31 to 35. 31 to 35. He writes... So when he, Judas, had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, 
and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So I now say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now to love others was not new. It wasn't a new commandment to his Jewish followers, his Jewish listeners that day, but to love others the same as Messiah Christ Jesus, to love the same as he loved, this is revolutionary. And as new covenant believers, we are to love others based on Jesus' sacrificial love for us. Loving like Jesus will not only bring unbelievers to Christ, it will also keep believers strong and united in a world that is presently growing in great hostility toward God and toward those called by His name. God's love is more than simply a tender heart toward others. It's an attitude that reveals itself in action. An attitude that reveals itself in action. So how can we love others as Jesus loves us? By helping when it's not convenient. By giving when it hurts. By caring for another's welfare. Or how about by absor uh, absorbing hurts and disappointments without complaining or fighting. Friends, people will notice you and me when we love this way. So the question is, how did Jesus love his disciples? There are a multitude of ways, but I just want us to look at three. He loved with understanding. He loved with sacrifice. And he loved with forgiveness. Jesus loved with understanding. <laughs> he knew his disciples thoroughly. Thoroughly. He knew everything there was to know about them. He knew their moods. He knew their struggles. He knew their weaknesses and their strengths. And he still loved them. To understand others, we need to stand under their point of view. We need to humble ourselves to genuinely listen to them. Jesus was a perfect listener. Most misunderstandings happen as a re refusal to really listen and hear one another. But when we really listen, we begin to understand standing under their motives, their thoughts, and their feelings. When we get alongside them and try to see from their perspective, it will encourage them to trust us more. When people are 
seeing that we're really interested in them, not just in us telling them something, it will encourage transparency, vulnerability, honesty, and develop trust. Jesus loved sacrificially. There was no limit to what his love would not do or where it would not go. No limit. He would give and give and give sacrificially. And Jesus knew that that sacrificial loving would end up leading him to a horrific death on the cross. But he was willing to go there too. True love will often, often involve pain and a cross. We love a person sacrificially when we consider their happiness and their good even over ours. When we choose relationships based on how they will benefit us, we end up showing our selfishness. I think a good example is when a man is dating a woman. He easily spends his time, his energy, his money on her. And he does not count the cost because of his love for her. Sacrifice is easy to the one who truly loves. Jesus loved with forgiveness. He held nothing against his disciples. Not even their painful denial. Not even their betrayal of him. And the truth is, the disciples were often difficult to be with. But Jesus continued to love them, no matter what. There was no failure or offense that he would not forgive. Love that endures all must be willing and must be built on forgiveness. In any deep and precious relationship, there will be times when forgiveness is required. And forgiveness is not based on feelings. It's based on a choice of the will. We receive forgiveness from God and from others by faith. And we offer it by faith to others as well. And at the same time, we choose to let the past go. If we wait until we feel like forgiving... To actually do so, we will never forgive because our flesh loves to hold on to resentment and hurt and anger. And a big part of our dying to self is forgiving. We put their sins behind our back just like God did ours in Isaiah 38, 17. He takes our sins, he puts them behind his back so he cannot see them. We choose never to hold the sin of others in front of us to examine them or to think about them again. What a godly discipline. And I think that one of the most amazing lessons that we can learn from Calvary is that Jesus taught us how to go through a crucifixion and have Jesus glorified in the midst of it. After Jesus was risen from the dead. He walked in new, resurrected life. He had never walked in that life before on earth. 
Hmm. He never mentioned anyone's name that took part in causing him great anguish, grief, and suffering. He left it all. The rejection, the suffering, the pain at the cross. His resurrected life had no trace of unforgiveness. None. None. And we are to forgive like Jesus forgave. Wow. We're to love like Jesus loved. Be joyous as Jesus was joyous. I mean, all the fruits of the Holy Spirit are in us, but they need activation. They need activation. Hmm. The Lord wants us to forgive just like Jesus did and never talk about those who wounded us. Wow, that's big stuff. If we die with Him, we are promised that we will also be raised again to new life in Him, and it's His life, not ours. My prayer this morning is that the longing of our hearts would move to a place that would be very close to the Apostle Paul. Paul wrote this in Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death so that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Mm. Lord, this is among the most powerful challenges that we who are called by your name could ever face. the new commandment to love as Jesus loved. Hmm. Lord, I fall so far short in that area. Lord, just looking at all of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, oh God, But Lord, we look to fix our eyes on Jesus today. He's the beginner. He's the finisher of our faith. He's everything. So Father, have our eyes be so focused on our King, our Master, our Redeemer, our Savior, our Lord, that we can see in Him where you want us to be like Him. And Lord, thank you for being so humble, being so wise. Lord, you knew that at the perfect time, you were to get up from that reclining position and take on the servant place because there was no servant there. Thank you for serving in that low capacity 
because you are high and lifted up in authority because of your humility that went before you. Humility always comes before honor. Always. So Lord, I pray that we'd all be baptized into a fresh measure of genuine humility this morning. It's so attractive in the kingdom. We hate to think about it in the natural. Humility is not attracted at all to us in the natural. Only strength is. But to this one will I look, says the Lord in Isaiah 57. To him or her who is of a broken and a humbled and a contrite spirit. And who trembles at my word. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this gospel of John that we're sojourning into together. Now, Lord, I pray that you'd guide a time of discussion around our tables. We've got about 10, 15 minutes. I pray that we'd be able to share about what spoke to us this morning. Where does God want my attention right now? And may we have some sweet fellowship with Jesus being in the center of our tables, in the center of our conversations, and order our conversation aright, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Okay, so we've got about...